What is going on, podcast land? We're back for another episode of Caffeinated Bible Chatter. This is Kyle O'Shields, sitting here with Dylan Brown. And as usual, we got the coffee out. It's hot. We got the sword in front of us, and it's sharp. What's going on? Life is good. Uh, Things are good. The coffee is good. The word is good. Uh, I do have a confession. We always like to break down what we're sipping on. I do have a confession. Uh, I have no eggnog in the the coffee this time, although I've went on a back-to-back streak of the eggnog. Um, But that's not the confession. The confession is I am drinking a cup of decaf coffee. Mm. It's my second time doing that in however many episodes we've done. I felt guilty the last time. I feel guilty this time. But I do have caffeine in the system, so I want to acknowledge that. I'm only drinking a cup of decaf coffee uh, because I just finished a cup of Eliano's coffee. And I've mentioned Eliano's on him before. Again, they should be a sponsor. We'd love that. Um, But I'm a huge Eliano's fan. And I had a large latte with a ton of espresso in it. So I'm probably, I probably got 200 milligrams of caffeine in the system. Didn't want to go with 90 or 100 more because I didn't want to start speaking in tongues or anything crazy. Uh, so here actually, we are. I'm actually sipping on some, what is it, uh, Black Rifle Latte or whatever. Yeah, so, Kyle's gone a little liberal tonight. So yeah. he, he let's just hope he don't read from an NIV or anything like that. But yeah. uh, uh, considering we're talking about the King James tonight. Uh, but yeah, there's this new, again, Black Rifle would be another great sponsor. Again, nice. shout out. Uh, but Black Rifle, we love their coffee. We've mentioned that before. And they came out with this latte pod that literally already has, I guess, cream and stuff in it. And you literally just put it in the Keurig, fire it up, and you don't put a thing else in it. And even I can handle it. Kyle normally does that without putting anything in it. And he can handle black coffee. I can't, but I can handle the latte. And so it is a, it's a great product. We love it. Good people over at Black Rifle. That's right. Amen. That's right. <laughs> Uh, but just a quick recap last week, if you missed it, uh, we're starting this new series on, on the word of God, uh, the KJV. Uh, but last week before we actually get into the King James stuff, uh, we talked about preservation, right? God said he would preserve his words. Um, and the, the question from last week was God said he would preserve them. Where are they? All right. That's, that's what we'll be answering over these next couple weeks. Um, so last week, preservation, if you missed that, check it out. Uh, maybe go listen to that before you listen to this one so it all makes sense. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we wanted to, uh, as Kyle said, we last week, and we mentioned it many times in the episode last week, but the goal wasn't necessarily to defend the King James last week, although we may have done that at times in passing. Um, the goal was just to say the words of God have to be somewhere because God promised to preserve them, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that was our goal. Well, this week we are, I, I said this last week as well, I don't know exactly what we're titling this week's episode, but something to the effect of why we believe God's words are in the King James Bible. Um, and so that's, what, that's, that's kind of what we're tackling uh, in this episode. Uh, so Kyle, maybe we can start by reading the two main verses that we kept reiterating last week uh, yep. to remind people what God has said about his words and what he would do with his words in preservation. And so Matthew 24, verse 35, we read this last week. This is Jesus, context of Matthew 24, is Jesus is talking to his disciples, specifically talking about second coming, uh, second advent stuff, what's going around with that, the events around are surrounding that. But verse 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, 
but my words, plural, but my words shall not pass away. And so again, I hate to sound like a broken record, but if we're going to approach this book literally, as we've talked about very early on in this podcast, then we have to, either that's true or that's not. And God said, Jesus himself said on earth that his words shall not pass away. It means they're always going to be. Uh, okay, and then Kyle's got another reference that we hit, Psalm 12 as yep. well. Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And this is the one last week we we did hit a, on other versions a little bit, where mm-hmm. they'll, they'll change in verse 7, where thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation they put the emphasis on us. They, they right. take it off of his words and put us there uh, for preserve them. He'll preserve us, which we're obviously talking about his words here in this verse 6 and 7. Right, exactly. Um, I'll, I'll read this verse too to kind of catapult. And, what, and so what I'm essentially going to do, as always, I say this every episode, I write down some notes, some really some bullet point thoughts, and I try to just hit those bullet point thoughts to keep me on track, really. Um, and, that's, and so I'm going to give... Seven reasons uh, that I believe the words of God are preserved in the King James Bible. Okay, why seven? Well, because I'm a Baptist, and us Baptists love the number seven, and we stick to it. We love we love the number three for points in a sermon, and we love the number seven for everything else. Um, so that's that's what I'm going to try to do. I do want to read this verse just kind of to catapult uh, us into this and to build on what, the two verses we just read. But Proverbs 35, again, I want you to notice the specificity that God has on his words. He says every, Proverbs 35, every word of God is pure. And he says he is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. So again, last week, our whole goal to show you that God did preserve his words, uh, that he or that He promised to do so, that he was specific about his words, uh, and so this idea to say that, the, that his perfect words are, are long gone and lost in the originals, but, you know, we have something that's pretty close, you know, with reliable translations or, you know, the things that still, they still give us the principles and all that, that, that doesn't line up with the promises of God. Uh, and so, and again, I want to say as we, we go into this, if you use another version, I, I'm certainly not mad at you. I will say that, uh, I said this last week, I think you can grow from reading a modern version. And you're going to see from this episode and from past episodes that you've already heard, I'm not a fan of modern versions. But I still believe you can grow from them because they they do still contain principles and precepts of the Lord. Um, but there's, again, if, if, we're, if we're trying to break down the specific words of God and where they're at, uh, we believe that's in the King James Bible. Again, we believe, as we broke down last week, that uh, people made copies of copies of copies, and then that eventually was translated into English, and we'll break down more of that here uh, in just a moment. And we believe that God preserved that, that God breathed on the King James Bible, guided the King James translators, and has given us a supernatural book that he can speak to the world today through. Uh, And so that's the whole goal was to defend that and show you why we believe that. All right, so again, seven reasons. Why do we believe the King James? Why, why do we just cherry pick that? That's what many critics would say is that we're just like, you know what? Hmm, you're going through a list like at a grocery store. Ah, yeah, that one looks the best. Let's do that. 
No, it's actually not that. There's there's many reasons that we believe this, and that's what we're going to try to break down. And Kyle, as always, of course, you interrupt me. Uh, the audience knows full well that without that I will go without interruption. So please do so uh, when when you feel the need to. All right. So why do I believe the King James is where God's words are? Number one is because of the internal evidence. Now, what is that? It's a fancy term. Well, simply comparing the product of the King James to the other versions. So you got a King James on one side and you got another version on on the other side. And when comparing those side by side, the King James is a superior product. Okay? Now, you're hearing that. You're like, okay, well, where did you come up with that? How is it a superior product? Okay, well, a big thing is that the other versions are are known for removing verses. Excuse me. And they actually don't hide that. It's not like they're trying to trick you in that. You'll actually be reading in certain passages, First John five seven, I think Mark fifteen or sixteen is a is a big one. There's a lot of passages, uh, but these modern versions they actually remo- uh, just remove the verse altogether, all all and you'll be reading and it'll jump and skip a verse. So it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't even skip the it doesn't even give you like fifteen to sixteen and just not put the words there. No, it actually will go from like fifteen to seventeen. So they at least own up to that, I guess. Yeah, and Mark, there's like a whole last half of it. Yeah, a bunch of it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so in the NIV, I'm just giving these, again, not, not I don't have a, I'm not trying to hate specifically on any one other version other than the King James, but just to show you that they're, they're not equal to the King James. And I said this last week, but I'm just, as honest as I know how to be, uh, again, read what you want to read. But if I'm trying to present something to somebody, I would rather present a 12% investment return than a six percent investment return, like why not just get why not go for the better product? Why not go for the real thing? Um, and and so that's what I believe. So the NIV removes seventeen verses. Again, you do your own research for all this to get those details. We just mentioned a couple of them. The ESV nineteen, the New American Standard uh, sixteen. Okay, and that's that's just what they've removed, right? That's not right. Like yeah, that's not the that's not the actual word changes, and we'll talk yeah. more about that too. So that's just like the actual whole verse is not even accounted for. Um, Acts eight thirty seven is a big one. We've mentioned that I think last week and stuff um, about the Ethiopian eunuch, how, how what he had to do before getting baptized, etc. Uh, so that's my first reason. Okay, at the end of the day, when I just look at product to product, the King James is superior to those. It just it just stands out, and 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 some of the other points I'm going to get I'm going to give they're going to overlap, and you may say, well, they sound like the same point. Okay, well, it's reasons why I believe the internal evidence stands out for the King James over the others, but that's the that's the that's the first the first reason. Okay, uh, number two, because of the external evidence of the King James. Now, what is that? That is, uh, and, and I think. Probably we kind of me and Kyle were talking. I think next week we'll go into more detail. Uh, maybe do a whole episode on internal the internal evidence and the external evidence, and just break down the King James versus the others anyway. Um, but number two is the external evidence, and that is where the King James comes from. It's the manuscript evidence. It's the the line of manuscripts that the King James came from versus the modern the modern versions. And you can actually, I was trying to log my memory today. You can actually go back and look at episodes, I think, the literal 
interpretation versus allegorical interpretation. And we talk about some of these guys that were big uh, in the opposite line of manuscripts and how crazy they were. And so that's another reason that kind of goes along with this. Uh, but Kyle, if you want to go to Acts 11.26... And then I'm going to, again, Acts 11.26, for those who are listening, if you follow along, and we're going to, or I'm going to go to Acts 13.1 and 2. So, again, external evidence. Uh, this is where, this is, so this is what the King James translators use to translate into the King James, okay, uh, versus what the modern versions use. And by the way, this is no secret. This is not something that I'm like conniving or anything. This is... The, the, the King James comes from the Texas Receptus. Okay, the Texas Receptus is the Greek New Testament. Um, but it comes from that, which comes from Antioch. And we mentioned some of this last week. And the modern versions comes from the Alexandrian text, the Greek text. And Alexandria uh, is, is in Egypt. And so just giving you some biblical references on these two areas, because God thinks a lot about this kind of stuff, and he, he lets us know and highlights some things. Um, so what Kyle, Kyle's reference here, show, again, we're reading some, some stuff on Antioch. So I like that the King James can't, came from an Antioch text, okay, because God views Antioch in a positive light. I don't like the fact that the modern versions come from Egypt because God views Egypt through a negative lens. So that's really the simplicity of it. But we're going to give you some, some proof of that. Um, so Kyle, go ahead and read uh, Acts 11.26. 11.26. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And that, so, was, that was Barnabas seeking Saul. Yeah. If, if that's, <laughs> so, so Acts 11, that's where, that's where they're first called Christians. We're called Christians today. We're seeing the church age, as we've talked about in dispensationalism, the church age starting to be, you know, maturing, if you will, getting into the normal uh, normalcy of the church age. And so they're called Christians there in Antioch. That's the hub of Christianity. That's where they're, they're running things. They're first called Christians there, obviously. And then in Acts 13, we, you know, we talk a lot about the Apostle Paul. He's the, the, uh, guy to the Gentiles. He's the person that we follow. Um, his teaching, Romans through Philemon, uh, for today's day in the church age. Well, chapter 13, the church of Antioch is actually who sends out Paul for the first missionary journey. So not only is it the hub for Christianity where they're first called Christians, but now that's the place that's doing the work of the Lord. That's the place that is sending people out um, as missionary. So chapter 13, verse one, now there were in the church that was at Antioch, there it is, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and, you know, I'm, I'm bad at these, these words, and Manane, uh, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Okay. Glad you took that verse. Yes. I, I, if I didn't <laughs> remember that, I'd have flipped it. I'd have had you had that. Uh, verse two says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Okay, so they're already in ministry. These people it's about to describe. They're already in ministry, and now they're fasting, which means they're, they're seeking the Lord on something. The Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work. Well, what's the work? Well, the work of the Lord. For the work whereunto I have called them. And then what essentially happens is they are sent out right then uh, as, as missionaries. And so... There's a lot more we can say about Antioch, but that is two simple references and the simplicity of 
God's view of, of Antioch and how it's important in the church age, uh, etc. And again, the Texas Receptus comes from that. That's where that is originated from, which is a good thing. Okay, now let's look at some stuff in Egypt. Kyle, if you want to go to Genesis 12.10. And Egypt's a little, not easier to defend. Antioch's easy to defend too. But Egypt may be something that about every listener goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I know there's some bad stuff about Egypt. And it's actually amazing. Well, I'm not going to say that. You know, you just got to catch yourself midair while live on air sometimes. Um, so, Kyle, you grab Genesis 12.10. 12, 10. And then I'm going to Genesis 50, verse 24 and 25. So, Kyle has the first reference of Egypt in the Word of God. And this is what it says. Uh, Genesis 12.10. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Okay, so the first reference of Egypt... And it's, it's uh, showing us that somebody goes down to Egypt. Okay, so it's a picture. People go up to Israel. Uh, people go down to Egypt. It's a picture of, of it being negative. It being a, a uh, you know, it's a picture of the world. Someone's going down. Now someone could say, well, Dylan, that's stupid because it's just, ge- it's just geography. And you're right, it is. Technically, they had to literally go south. But they could use the word south. Uh you know, maybe, maybe that's why. Uh, but let me give you some other references. Um, at the end of Genesis, if you remember, uh, essentially, Joseph gets sold into slavery and goes into Egypt. He works his way up through a lot of trial and crazy stuff, works his way up to being second in command. So what happens? The other brothers and Jacob, they eventually, you know, come in contact with him in, in uh, Egypt and they get taken care of, yada, yada. Well, then Joseph dies. New Pharaoh comes in. Things are not the same. The Jews are not well-treated anymore. That's eventually how slavery of the Jews to Egypt came into effect, which, by the way, there's another negative uh, for, the, for Egypt. Uh, your, your whole book of Exodus is about God's chosen people being enslaved to this, this nation. It's obviously a bad thing. Uh, God, it's not God's will. Uh, not God's, God's not pleased with that. Okay, But in, in Genesis... Uh, what did I say here? Genesis 24 and 25. What's happening is Joseph dies, okay? But I want you to notice what God, that God wants Joseph's bones out of Egypt. This, is, this tells us a lot. Verse 24, it says, And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land into the land which we swear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. That's really, that's really unique. That's really, that stand, that, there's something to that, that God does not want Joseph's remains, who, who's a, a picture of Christ, doesn't want Joseph's remains left there uh, in Egypt. And then we'll flip over to Matthew chapter 2. Kyle, if you want to grab that, Matthew chapter 2, uh, verse 19 and 20. So Matthew 2, verse 19 and 20. So you see there the first mention that Kyle read in Genesis 12. They're going down to Egypt. By the way, there's a dozen, there's dozens of references that talk about people going down to Egypt. It's always referenced that way in that specific wording. Um, he wants, he calls Joseph out of Egypt, his bones out of Egypt. He doesn't want them to remain there. Well, in Matthew 2, what you have here is, if you remember, Herod wants to kill Jesus. Um, he's killing all those, all the, the babies. Because he hears about a king, he feels threatened. Well, they run down to Egypt, Joseph and Mary and Jesus. Uh, well, what does God do? He calls his son out of Egypt. He doesn't want him to remain there. 
because that's not, it's a, again, it's a picture of the world. Um, and again, even the Exodus story, like we said, it pictures the world and it, it pictures our salvation. Israel was redeemed by the blood of the lamb, you know, that Passover situation, out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage. Well, that is a picture of our salvation. So it, again, shows you how clear uh, Egypt is a picture uh, of the world and just viewed in a negative light. So uh, Matthew 2, 19 and 20, we see that God calls his son out of Egypt. Yeah, verse 19, but when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. Okay, so again, why do I believe the King James Bible is where God's words are? Well, number one, like I said, the internal evidence, comparing product to product. Number two, where the Bible comes from. The, the King James translators actually give great credence to the TR, the Texas Receptus. If you ever hear it, some people call it the TR for short. Uh, they acknowledge that, okay? And so that's where it comes from. It comes from Antioch, essentially, if you trace it all the way back. The modern versions, again, they're, they don't hide it. It's not like a secret thing that I'm trying to manipulate. No, they acknowledge that they have the quote-unquote older manuscripts, is what they say, they were lost for a period of time, and then they found them, some cave, yada, yada. And those are Alexandrian manuscripts. And again, maybe we'll say more about it next week. And We've already said some things about it early on in the podcast about a guy by the name of Jerome and all these different people that were had crazy beliefs, very, very Catholic-based beliefs that had their hands on uh, those Alexandrian text manuscripts. So again, we'll say more about that. But so that's my number, that's my second reason because of where it comes from, where the King James comes from. Okay, the third reason, and I'm just just being practical and just working through. If somebody were to approach me on the street and say, "Hey, why do you? What's your deal with the King James? Why is it that?" I'm just laying it out for you. Number three, because English is the primary language of the world. So English English is the primary language of the world. You can Google that. That's not me just again spitting some random. Uh, you know, bogus fact. Um, it's actually the truth. English is the most well, uh, or is, is the most spoken language in the world. Uh, I've actually been amazed at how many times I've gone to different countries, like, you know, mainly on cruises and stuff. Um, but where they, they speak English, like even if it's broken, like they know some basic English. And really at the end of the day, I guess the reason for that is at one time, England ruled the world. And then England eventually transitioned into America with you know pilgrims and all that. And that's really what America is today is a product of, of England. Even to the point that we, I mean, Mike, this is off the grid, something not to do with the Bible, but you know, they, they left England because of overtaxation. And here we are in America getting overtaxed again. It's just, you know, we're, we're England 2.0. Okay. <laughs> and so England rules the world. And even uh, to the point of when someone's flying, the point of longitude and lat- uh, latitude, and I probably said that backwards. I don't know th- nothing about flying. That'll be obvious to you. Uh, but it's based on, it's based off uh, Greenwood, England. And so again, God, did God know that English was going to be the primary language of the world? Did he know that hundreds of years ago? Of course he did. God, you know, God, he's omniscient. He, uh, or he's, uh, yeah, omniscient. He knows all. And so I believe that because the manuscripts before this were in a, they're in a dead language, and I'll say more about that later. 
But they're now in a dead language that people don't speak anymore. God knew that would happen, and God knew that English would become the primary language of the world. And so he uh, would simply translate his words into the primary language of the world. And so here we are. Yeah, here, talking about English and England. Yeah. Here's a, here's a quote from our mentor. Uh, absolute location is English location. He was just talking about that. Yeah. Absolute time is English time. That's right. So why would you think that absolute truth was an English truth? Battle preach. Mm. And isn't there, I, I may be wrong about this. Again, this is off the cuff, so if it's wrong, just whatever. But I think the World Bank is in England. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, you know, you got to watch that old, you got to watch that old England country. Oh, Great Britain. Anyway, um, so that's my third reason. And again, you may disagree with some of these. And if you do, hey, email us or message us on a social media platform. We'd love to chat about it, as long as it's not too crazy. Um, we'd like to do that. But that's my third reason. Number four, why do I believe it's in the King James? Well, because there's no copyrights on the King James text. Okay. So this is what I believe in a nutshell about the modern versions. And again, if you use them, that's fine. Uh, but I believe the modern versions is a money, is a money trip. Yeah, that's, it, the, that's the point in a copyright. Yeah, absolutely. That's why. The, money. So the, all the the new versions are they have copyrights on them. Okay. Now, what some people would say is, back in the day, which this is expired now, but back in the day, originally when the King James was translated, um, there was a there was a crown copyright, but that had nothing to do with actually people uh, copying it. It was not a money situation. Okay. So so, but today, this is this is the deal. Today, you can go. And if you have a plain text King James Bible, you can copy that and give that to other people. Now, if you have a certain study Bible or a certain Bible, you know, with certain people's notes and stuff, they may have a copyright on their notes, but the King James text is, is uh, there's no copyright on it, okay? So again, it's just like if you used to go to college uh, or maybe you, you've read a book and they came out with a different edition of the book or something. Like legally, for it to, to for it to be a new edition, for it to be a new book, you have to change so much of it. There has to be like certain amount change that, that differs from the other one for it to be that. And so that's obviously why. Which again, there's so many versions in English, and what I'm presenting to you, because they all have copyrights outside the King James, that it's simply a way for guys that claim to be smarter than the common man. It's simply a way for them to. To make money. And this is why I say that. Again, obviously because there's copyrights, but the NIV uh, is owned by a company called Biblica. I think that's how you say that. The NASB is owned by the Lockman Foundation. Now, again, some of these companies are whatever you want to call them, nonprofits. They'll call themselves nonprofits. But if you know anything from non about nonprofits, not saying they're all this way, but there's there's this little thing called the Clinton Foundation. And that's also considered a nonprofit. But although the company itself may not retain profits, it pays big salaries to people. So there's still money made off of nonprofits. Don't let that fool you. Yeah. Uh, Goodwill, I love Goodwill. I go into it all the time. I like to flip stuff and resell and just find, I got some clothes from there, I'm cheap. Um, but Goodwill is considered a quote unquote nonprofit. Yet the CEO of Goodwill, I believe, it's, I may be wrong in the exact dollar amount, but makes a salary of around a million dollars a year. 
Now, he may be a hardworking man, but what I'm saying is don't let people fool you. Nonprofits still pay out money to people, big money. Okay, so the NASB is owned by the Lockman Foundation. The ESV is owned by Crossway. And the New King James uh, is owned, it was owned, I believe, you can do your own research. I believe it was owned by Thomas Nelson, but a company called Harper and Rowe, I believe, purchased Thomas Nelson. So I guess maybe they have the ownership of that. Okay, so again, there has to be substantial changes uh, for a new book to come out. And so it's interesting that they would, they would put these copyrights on all of these things if they truly want the Word of God getting to as many people as they can. But no, you can't make copies of their stuff because that steals money out of their pocket. Because it comes down to selling, selling, selling books. It's no different than if you were to write a book you're not, okay, uh, you know, not, uh, not the Bible, of course. If you were to write your own autobiography and you start making big money on it because it really hits big, you're not okay if somebody goes to a copier and copies that thing and, and gives it to a dozen of their friends. You're not okay with that because that's 12 books that you could have sold that you didn't sell. Well, that's what's happening here with these, these other versions. And again, if you think I'm wrong about that, just look it up. It's common knowledge. They don't hide it. Obviously, they don't hide it because they want to make sure people know it so they don't do it and they don't steal their money. Okay. If, if you are Googling, though, there is the King James does have what a, it's called like a crown. The crown copyright. copyright. Right. No, but that's not the same thing. That's right? expired, too. Yeah. It's okay. expired. And you can do some research on that. But that actually didn't prevent people. Um, it wasn't a, it wasn't a money situation. It didn't pre- prevent people from giving the text to other people. Yeah. All right. But like I said, as of today, right now, you can go copy the snot out of a blank. Again, the King James words, not study notes from another man in a Bible, in a study Bible, but the plain King James Bible, man, you can do it. Matter of fact, one of the Bibles that I had, the Bible that I have in front of me is a wide margin Bible that has nothing but the King James text in it. And it's a local church that produces these. And they don't have to call any company to say, hey, can I do 500 more? They don't do that because there's, again, there's, there's nothing that copyright's expired. There's nothing on this text that prevents them from doing that. So it's not you. You, if nothing else, you can't say that this is a money game with the King James. But it sure does look like that for the other the other uh, versions. Okay, so that's my fourth reason. My fifth reason is this, and this is going to sound re, uh, redundant from you know, repeat from last week, but simply because of God's promise of preservation. Okay, so He promised to preserve His word. So. Let's maybe read those two verses again, Kyle, just to kind of go along with this point. If you want to get Psalm 12, and I'm going to go back to Matthew 24. So again, just two simple references. There's a lot more references, but two simple references that God promises to preserve his words. Um, Let's see, Matthew uh, 24, 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Pretty clear. And then Kyle's got Psalm 12. Psalms 12, 6, and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So this is what many people would say. Well, God did still preserve his words. It's, it's, it's in the Greek and Hebrew. Well, the problem with that is this. I, I made reference to the Texas Receptus, or the TR, earlier. There's about 30 different editions of the TR, uh, and the problem with the TR is if you, cause there's actually people that use the King James Bible and they call them, they're, they're TR only. So they're like, well, I, I refer to the TR and you can notice those guys because they're always correct in the King James text with what the Greek says. Now I don't have a problem with the Greek and I love the TR. 
and I don't have a problem with the Hebrew and referencing that at times, but it, I'm never going to use that to correct the King James if I believe the King James is God's perfect preserved words. And so in this, if we believe, if somebody believes that God preserved it through those original languages still, again, the problem with that is, like, let's take the TR. The TR is in a language called Koine Greek. Koine Greek is actually not spoken in any country today. Not spoken in any country. It's considered a dead language. Now, I've had people tell me, and they normally say it with a a real confident tone, but I've had people tell me that they know Koine Greek. Uh, I've actually gotten to a little, I try to avoid these these days, but I've actually gotten to a little bout with a guy on Facebook years ago who claimed to really know Koine Greek, and he thought he was going to bully, you know, bully me around, etc., whatever. I uh, thought he was real smart. Uh, but the problem is, th- th- I want you to think about this for a second. God promised to preserve His words. If He preserved them in a language that is dead, man, that's a really crappy job of preservation. Yeah. Nobody speaks, and so my response to that guy that I said that said he knew Koine Greek, I said. Could you have? Could you conversate in it? And he said, "Well, no, of course not. It's not conversational." And I, my response to that was, "Did it used to be?" And he never responded because it did used to be conversational. And so somebody's definition of knowing a language, yet they can't conversate in it. What they're really saying is they know ten or twenty or thirty words of the coin you know of that language yet they don't know enough about it to actually conversate with people that's that's not a real good knowledge of the language and so again if god's uh he obviously like we've laid out he has made it very clear he's going to preserve his words so if his preservation was in languages that are dead that is a terrible job of preservation and so really the reason that people like to uh trying to think how to say this. Really the reason that people try to make a big deal about it's in the Greek and it's in the Hebrew and this and that is because that, again, back to like we talked about last week, that puts the final authority on those people. Like the people that are saying they know those languages even though they don't know them very well. So what it does is it requires the average Joe to believe what this guy is saying that knows that language and he's correcting the, the text that's in front of them. Like they can understand the English. But when they say, no, 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 what that's really saying, and again, it goes back to allegorical versus literal, but what that really is saying is in the Greek is this, and they're correcting what that actually says. It steals confidence from what they have in their Bible. It kills their faith because they think, wow, I'm just not, you know, I'm not like them to be able to understand that language, uh, you know, and understand what the Bible's really saying. And again, that sounds a lot like what Satan did in Genesis 3-1 when he reinterprets God's word and corrects it. So uh, that is my fifth reason, because God's promise of preservation. And again, I do not believe preservation can be done in a language that is dead today. That by definition, that is not preserved in a way that we communicate anymore. So I don't believe that's the case. Okay, number six. So let's recap. Why do I believe the, the the words, not the principles, not the precepts, not the ideas, not the moral lifestyle. No, no, the words specifically, why do I believe they're in the King James? Well, number one, because the internal evidence of comparing product to product. 
Number two, because of because of the external evidence, because of, the, of where they come from, you know, coming from Antioch versus the other ones coming from Egypt. Number three, because English is the primary language of the world. So again, that just makes sense. Okay, so did God know that Koine Greek would, would, would die? Yeah, he knew that. Did he know that English would become the primary language of the world? Yeah, he knew that. Okay, it makes, it makes perfect sense. Number four, because there's no copyrights on the King James text, I mean, it's very honest. There's no, it's not a money game like the others. Number five, because of God's promises of preservation, as I just said. Okay, number six, because of, because of the fruit of the King James Bible. Okay, let's go to uh, Roman or Revelation three, Revelation chapter three. And if you're follow, if you're listening, you're following along, you'd be great. Revelation chapter three, and so we have made, and again, the sixth point is the fruit of the King James Bible. So what the King James Bible has produced in man throughout its existence. So we have been very clear in the past that we believe that Revelation 1 through 3, it breaks down seven churches. Now those were literal churches in John's day uh, in this time frame. Those will also be churches in the tribulation. But these, we believe, picture uh, seven church ages or time periods in the 2,000 years plus of, of church history. And so, if you know anything about church history and you, and you believe that as we do in this Revelation 1-3 through 3 situation, then you understand the Philadelphian church is the, stud, is the church that is stud of studs. We talk a lot about Laodicea, where we're at today. It's a terrible church. There's nothing positive said about it. Uh, well, in, in the Philadelphian church, there is n- nothing negative said about it. It's a, it again, it's, a, it's an amazing church. And what we believe when breaking down these time periods, when, when comparing these texts and these verses to history, is we believe that this represents, and you could, you know, buffer this a little bit, but around 1500 AD to 1900, around that. Um, so let's, let's read that. Uh, Kyle, if you want to read, let's see, Revelation, maybe just verse 7 and, and 8. 7 and 8. Yeah. yeah. In Revelation 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. So this this is uh, this church is, is said to have kept the word of God. So again... If it represents AD 1500 to 1900, well, certainly, you know, 1611 is right in that wheelhouse. And many people say, well, you don't have the 1611. Okay, well, the changes that were made from the 1611 to the 1789, that text that we have today, um, was simply printing errors, updating in language and the the spelling of words, uh, stuff like that. Okay, that was... That went on during this time period, 1500 to 1900, of course. Okay, and so they're told that they kept the word of God. And if you simply study church history, there was a lot that went down in a positive light for the cause of Christ in this time period. So you had in the 1500s, you had Martin Luther in his 95 Theses, where he was a, he was a monk in the Catholic Church. And he realizes that the Catholic Church was wrong. And that they're not agreeing with the word of God, and he 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 stay, he nails these ninety five theses to the uh, 
Catholic Church, the wall there, and you know gives them the re- 95 reasons essentially why they're wrong. You have that happen in 1500. You have uh, in the 1700s, you have that first great awakening. Many great preachers uh, such as Jonathan Edwards, uh, George Whitfield, these kind of guys. In the 1800s, you have the D.L. Moody's, you have the C.H. Spurgeon's. Uh, by the way, in this time period, you have modern missions starting to come into effect. William Carey does that. You have all these great missionaries. Again, there's so many names. It would, uh, you know, I w- I'd miss tons of them if I tried to go through them. But my point is, in this time period, you can study church history for yourself. Don't take anything I'm saying for fact. Study it for yourself. It's very simple. From, from this time period, 1500 to 1900, things were done way more positively for the cause of Christ than they are today. It's just, it's just night and day. It really is. Uh, and again, when did modern versions start to come into effect? Well, really, at the end of the 1800s coming into 1900. It was R, the RSV was the first one. And then like the NIV, I think it was like in the 70s. Uh, I don't know, know about the others, but they're all you know after the 70s and 80s. So um, it's just simply the fruit of, of, of the King James Bible. The, the, the souls that were saved. More souls have been saved underneath the teaching and preaching of the King James Bible um, than any other book. By the way, even more than the originals. Quote, unquote, you know, air quotes. Uh, more than the original autographs, okay? So the, the greatest time in church history was in that window, 1500 to 1900. And I just don't find it by coincidence that the King James Bible was released right in the heart of that and got people, because what happened is uh, before that time period was the Dark Ages, I believe, was the one that butted up to that. Uh, regardless, in that time period, the Catholic Church actually kept the Bible from people. And if, if someone's listening to this and they're a Catholic, I don't hate you. But this is just the facts of church history. You can read it. They kept the Word of God from people. They didn't want the Bible to get into the hands of common people. It was in Latin. And so the popes and the priests had to give them, uh, quote unquote, give them truth. And they had to, that's how they were able to dupe them into thinking they had to come and confess their stuff to the priests. That's how they were able to dupe them. And they had to come, and they, they, people would come and pay money to get their uh, loved ones out of purgatory. Well, what was that? That was just a money scam for the Catholic Church to make money because the Bible doesn't teach on purgatory. There's nothing about it, it's not a biblical doctrine. And so they knew that if people, got their hands on truth, that they would see the scam of the Catholic Church. And that would lead to, obviously, problems. They, that would lead to an issue for them. And so, but what, so William Tyndale, I think he was at the end of the 1400s. I may be off on that. But he made this statement that he wanted, to get, he wanted the common plowboy to know as much of the Word of God as the Pope. And so that's how this, the start of getting the... the uh, Bible translated into English became a thing. Uh, and there's stuff that came before the King James, uh, the Tyndale Bible, Geneva Bible, uh, stuff like that. And then here we are today, we believe is the, the perfect product. Um, so the, again, my sixth point is the fruit of the King James Bible. All right. And then my seventh point, again, we love the number seven in Baptist church. Uh, just got to be true Baptist here is the way the King James is constructed. Now, Again, this kind of goes back to number one, is comparing the products, internal evidence. 
But nonetheless, the way the, and we may talk more about this in depth next week, um, but the way the King James is constructed. So, uh, Kyle, let's go to, uh, you got something pulled up there? No? No. Okay. Uh, first, first Corinthians 2. So, we've made many comments before the way that we study Scripture. We believe that we have the perfect words of God, and, and we believe that the way God teaches is comparing Scripture with Scripture. Um, so, Kyle, if you want to grab 1 Corinthians 2.13, and I'm going to go to John chapter 6 to kind of give a bullet point for the, our reference in 1 Corinthians 2. We go ahead and read it. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 2.13, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual Okay, so he says that if we want God's wisdom, we get it from comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Well, John 6, 63 says, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, notice again, the words, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So these spiritual things here are simply the words of God. And so we believe from this text here in 1 Corinthians 2, the way that we study Scripture, and by the way, this is a verse, oh, let's see. Verse 10 says this is how we find the deep things of God. So it's not just reading verses in a row and then and never really studying it out, but just kind of going verse by verse and you know just casually reading. No, no. The way that we find these deep things and we get the wisdom of God is by comparing them together. Seeing where this word is used over here and then seeing where it's used again over here. And then seeing where this phrase is used and where this phrase is used over here. And that is how the that is how the Spirit of God teaches us. Is what this whole you read 1 Corinthians 2. It's about the wisdom of God, and it tells us the Holy Spirit is the teacher. That's how he does that. Because the Spirit of God answers to the Word of God. And he teaches us through the Word of God as we study it the right way, which is comparing uh scripture with scripture. Yeah, well, uh that Second Corinthians two thirteen talking about man's wisdom. I probably said this on an earlier podcast, but I always think of you know these other versions adding, subtracting. Mm-hmm. They're, they're they're putting man's wisdom on it exactly, right? and it makes me think of Matthew chapter sixteen when when he's, Jesus is talking to the disciples about leaven, right? The bread. Mm-hmm. They think he's talking about bread, and he's like, no, I'm talking about the fair. Watch out for them, right? Their right. doctrine and stuff like that. Well, then it brings you to Mark chapter seven. And the first nine verses, you can go check it out. Uh, but you see all through there, verses three and five, holding the tradition of the elders. Uh, verse seven, teaching the commandments. Uh, verse nine, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own traditions. Uh, and that's that's what I always think about when I see all these other versions, adding, subtracting, mm-hmm. changing, removing. I mean, what do, what do you do to make up a lie, right? You add, subtract, remove, change, right? You put, yep. put man's doctrine on it, man's opinion. Absolutely. Well, and so, and that, yeah, that's that's my whole point of of this seventh point of the, the the way the King James is constructed. So, okay, so we believe that we study the Bible through comparing specific words with words. Well, the problem with new versions is they change words because they have to. By the way, not even they would say it's because well, the text, the Greek text, actually leans more to this word. No, they have to change a good portion of it for it to be a new translation for them to have a copyright on it, for them to be able to sell it as a new product, etc. Okay. They have to. And so the problem is when they change these words, oftentimes, again, will the, is the, is the principle still in effect in the modern version? Yeah. A lot of times it is, but if you actually want to study, this is the way I've, I've, I've heard it said. And I really believe if you want to be a reader of the Bible, 
read read a, a modern version. Read an NIV. Now again, I I don't actually want to tell you to read an NIV, but you, you, like I said, you can still grow from it. But but read it. That's fine. But if you want to be a studier of the Bible, and I, I, I don't say this in any form of arrogance or anything, because I still have a lot to learn. I'm trying to learn, etc. But if you want to be a studier of the Bible, that is required. To, that is done by taking these specific words and running references on them and seeing how they're connected and all those kind of things. And when the modern versions and newer versions change those words because they have to, it 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 takes away cross-reference ability in, in, in many places. And so... I just want to give you a few examples. So Genesis 1, uh, 28. I'm not giving you a cross-reference for this first, but just to show you how the exact wording matters. And again, we believe that every word of God is pure in the King James. Verse, or Genesis 1, 28. It says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply. And I want you to notice this word. And replenish the earth. Now God is talking to Adam and Eve here. And he's telling them to replenish the earth. Majority of, of, of the modern versions actually remove that. And they say fill the earth or something like that. The problem with that is this, is, this is what we know from Scripture. We know from Scripture that Satan at one time was Lucifer. And he was you know, second in command. He was leading the worship of the Lord. Uh, Satan was actually in Eden at one point. And again, if that sounds crazy to you, maybe we'll get to a study on this. There's a lot to be said about it. But I believe it's Ezekiel 28. It's talking about a literal king in Ezekiel 28, but it's comparing him to Satan. And it says that. And it says, thou were in Eden, is literally what it says. So Satan, the earth is actually in effect. Satan has... A throne because he wants to exalt. What does he say in Isaiah 14? He wants to exalt his throne. So he has one above the throne of God. Uh, And so Satan has a throne. It's in Eden. And he has these people around him or these angelic beings around him called the sons of God. Okay. Well, the problem with other versions removing replenish from Genesis 1.28 is it, it gets rid of that teaching that there were things active before Adam and Eve. And there were. There, there were. There's too many references that support that. And again, maybe we'll do another episode on that. But that word is replenish is a very telling word. Because the very word literally means to plenish again. That's what re means. And so to say, like another version says, and we'll talk more about this stuff next week in the comparison, but to say, fill the earth. Well, that doesn't give that that completely changes uh, that nugget that the Word of God is teaching us. That doesn't tell us anything about what was before. All right. Another example uh, is Malachi. I tell you what, Kyle, if you want to go to John one eight nine, another example is Malachi chapter four. Malachi chapter four. Let's see. So Malachi chapter 4 is talking about the second coming, Jesus coming back, the, the literal second coming, not the rapture. And it, it gives us this little nugget here. It says, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise. Now the reason I go here is many of the modern versions leave the same wording as far as the Son being there. 
but it's S-U-N, not S-O-N. So, but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise. The difference is, in the King James, that son, the translators, the King James translators capitalized that word son there. Well, that's weird, because I'm, you know, when talking about the son that we see, the S-U-N, that's not, you know, it's not really a word we capitalize. But the reason that they're doing that is because they're picturing, the word of God is picturing Jesus Christ as the, the he's, he's picturing the S-O-N son as the, S, as the S-U-N son. And so if you were to study this out, uh, like in, I forget the actual passage where it's at, where it's located in the word of God, but like the storm, it talks, it, it talks about the, there's a first watch in the New Testament, there's a second watch, a third watch, and a fourth watch. Well, the fourth watch represent is, is the end of the church age. In the church age, uh, the way that we know the church age ends is he compares it to the night, because the night represents the church age. And he represents it ending. And how does the night end? It ends when the sun, the S-U-N, like literally, arises. It rises in the morning. And so that pictures in scripture. There's a lot of study on that. We wouldn't have, we don't have time to get into it. Maybe we could do another episode on that too. Who knows? But the, the, the sun rising pictures the second coming of Christ. And so the reason I go there is because in Malachi 4.2, in a King James Bible, the S-U in there is capitalized. But in your modern versions, it's not. Now, you, again, you could say, well, that's not a big deal. Well, again, I'm just trying to explain to you why I believe this book is superior than the others. There's something to it. And so, again, Malachi 4.2, it gives us that picture. And so it, and it really gives us the whole picture of, uh, I think even Chris Tomlin has a song on it, and I like it. He talks about being the moon. But it gives us this picture that what, is, what does the moon do? The moon doesn't have ability to give any light of its own. It's just really, uh, I guess, like a rock or something like that. Not a space expert. But it doesn't. it's not able to give off its own light. What the moon simply does is it positions itself in a certain way to reflect the sun's light to the earth. Well, that's what we're to do. We don't have any light of our own. We don't have that ability. But we are to reflect the S-O-N, in a way that the earth sees the light of, of the sun, of the S-O-N. And it, it gives us that beautiful picture. And again, only can you find that capitalization here in this text, in the King James. And so Kyle has another reference talking about the picture of Jesus being the light uh, there in John. John 1, you made it 7? Uh, seven? Eight, uh, eight, 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 uh, eight, uh, 8 and 9. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Okay, so that's, that's just another cool example. Okay, another one is Romans chapter 6. Again, we're talking about the way the King James is constructed. Romans chapter 6. There's, there's many amazing things uh, about how this book is constructed that to, to us lets us know it's supernatural. It's one of those deals where there's too many coincidences, for, for cool coincidences for it to be a coincidence. So, uh, numerics in the Bible, or the number system in the Bible is a big deal. Uh, God has numbers that mean, all numbers have meanings. Um, three pictures the Godhead. That's why there's so much in creation that is done in threes. You know, there's solid, liquid, gas. We are made uh, in His image. We're body, soul, spirit. Obviously, when someone's lost, they have a dead spirit and they get saved. Their spirit becomes alive. Uh, but God's big on threes. 
the number seven, as I mentioned before, I was joking about it being a big Baptist number, but it means completion or perfection. So God uses a lot of things in sevens. Um, but num- the number six is the number of man. Okay, and so just, this is just a cool little nugget. Like I said, this stuff is not something that necessarily changes your life, but I'm just trying to show you that there's something special about this book that we have in front of us. So Romans is the sixth book in the New Testament. Well, in chapter 6, verse 6, again, 6 is the number of man. Romans is the sixth book in, in, the, in the New Testament. Chapter 6, verse 6 the sixth word of that verse is man. It says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Okay, and there's a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me that could give you literally 200 examples of stuff like that. Um, And now, maybe some modern versions still have the word man there, but sometimes they don't, sometimes it's self. And again, it's just an example of how... uh, when you start tampering with the words, because they have to for it to be a new version, when they start tampering with words and phrases and different stuff, it, it ruins the really the amazement of, of what God did with this book. It changes that. Uh, and Kyle, Kyle has actually a cool... What was the thing you were telling me about with uh, the, the 18? Uh, it's the 18th time man is used in Romans. Okay. So and six, three times. Yeah, 666. Six, <laughs> six. And so again, what is... Uh, what is the Antichrist? That that's that's that represents his number, and he is the man of sin. So that's six six six, and again, the number six is the number of man. Uh, really, when you look at all of history, we've talked about this. Second Peter chapter three says that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day, and it breaks down uh, with, with creation that there are seven days. So that's seven thousand years. So there's going to be seven thousand years roughly of history. Well, the seventh day is the Lord's. The Lord blessed that. That's, that's what the whole picture of the Sabbath is in the Old Testament. The seventh day is the Lord's. That picture is the millennium. Okay, that's when God, when Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning. But again, if, if six is the number of man, God has allowed man to do its thing for 6,000 years before that day, roughly. I and mean, we're in 2023, so it's around that. And again, I believe we're close to the rapture. So that's just another little nugget. Again, there's, to, there's tons of those. Okay, another thing is the order of the books of the Bible. Now, this would actually work in any English Bible, but I'm just trying to show you that God would take the, uh, would preserve his word in the English text versus the originals. Because in the original autographs, the order of the books of the Bible were not the same way that they are today. Well, primarily because in the Old, the Old Testament, um, they had things rearranged differently. So, in the Old Testament, we can actually see a premillennial teaching just based on the order of the books of the Bible. So we did a whole episode on, on the millennium. And you know, the we, premillennial, again, simply means that we believe that Jesus Christ comes back before the millennial reign. A lot of people don't believe there's going to be a millennium at all. Jesus will never rule and reign on earth. A lot of people believe in a post-millennial view. Uh, I don't know how that, again, I can't wrap my mind around that, how Jesus can't come back before he rules and reigns, whatever. Um, they essentially think that we're going to usher in the kingdom, uh, stuff like that. But the order of the books of the Bible, I'm just showing you this, how, how supernatural this is. The order of the books of the Bible in parts of the Old Testament teach us uh, the, a premillennial view. Okay, so let's, let's take the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, by the way, 
the sixth book of the Bible, going back to that sixth thing, the sixth book of the Bible is the first book named after a man. It's Joshua. There's, there's that for you too. Okay, so Ruth. What, what, what is that book about? Well, Ruth is a Gentile woman that marries a Jewish man, who Boaz, who is a picture of Christ. So Ruth pictures the church age. Okay, then you have First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second uh, First and Second Chronicles. That section of Scripture, what happens in that? Well, Saul is a bad king. Okay, and Saul many places actually pictures the Antichrist. So a bad king comes and rules, followed by David, who's a good king. So that pictures, you know, after the Church Age, uh, the Antichrist. Uh, coming on the scene. Okay, then you have Ezra and Nehemiah. What is that about? Well, that's about rebuilding the temple uh, and rebuilding Jerusalem. So you go through and study that in Ezra and you see that Nehemiah. Nehemiah's got this crew. They go and they see the rubbish that is going on uh, and how the walls are falling. They're like, man, we got to rebuild the walls. We got to rebuild the temple. We got to rebuild Jerusalem. Okay, well, that will, will have to be done because Jesus Christ eventually will rule and reign from uh, the throne of David in the millennium. And so that, that, that has to be done. Okay, and Esther, Esther starts off with a Gentile queen, but she is replaced by a Jewish queen. And so that in the church age today that we live in, God has set aside Israel. Now, he's not going to forget them. That's what replacement theology teaches. But he has set aside Israel for the moment, and he's primarily dealing with Gentiles. But as we get closer and closer to the rapture, what God is going to do now, he's still going to chastise them through the tribulation. But what God is going to do is he's going to turn his attention back to the nation of Israel. And that is pictured there in the book of Esther. Job is one of the clearest books on the actual tribulation itself. Job has 42 chapters, and we did a whole episode on the tribulation. You should go back and listen to that if you haven't. But Job is 42 chapters, and what we believe is in the tribulation, there will be three and a half years of quote-unquote peace or not as much turmoil, and then three and a half years of just hell on earth. Well, again, that would represent, those. Though uh, Job represents Jacob or the nation of Israel going through trial and tribulation here on earth for three and a half years. Okay, and then Psalms, again, this is the order of the books. Psalms, Proverbs, and Song of Solomon is, is written by Solomon. And Solomon, early in his, his uh, kingdom, is one of the clearest pictures of Christ's millennial reign. Because uh, he, has, he has wealth, he's, everything is, is peaceful. The millennium is all about peace. When Solomon was, was ruling, they had peace. And so it pictures that. And so even something like that, again, maybe you think there's, that's just stupid, whatever. I don't, I don't care. But even something like that, I believe is clear that there's, that there's no coincidence that those things line up like they do to portray something that would happen literally thousands and thousands of years later. I mean, some of this is, is stuff from B.C. 800 probably. This projecting the millennium, which is still yet to come, and is a thousand-year deal. That's really an amazing thing. Yeah. So, 
again, I don't know what you think about that. Maybe you disagree with some of those, and that's fine. And you can write us, uh, email us, or whatever. Send us a, a message on social media to um, tell us what you think. Um, but again, those we didn't just cherry pick the King James. And I said this last week, but me and Kyle were both raised uh, in a church that taught from a King James Bible, and they believed the King James Bible was the Word of God. Um, so what would be easy is to have a traditional approach that me and Kyle said, well, we were raised that way. It's just, we're used to it. That's just what we're going to use. And that's where a lot of people lie. That's where a lot of people are. But, but me and Kyle, we don't have that belief because of that reason. We've looked into it. And I believe truly, if, if you're somebody on the other side of the coin, and if you really start studying this stuff out, I believe you'll come to the same conclusion. I really do. Because there's a lot here. There's a lot to it. And um, I, again, these are just simply, if I were to list some reasons, and there's more stuff that could be said than what I listed, but these are just simply seven reasons that I would say, no, we didn't just cherry pick the King James. We're not just doing it because that's what Paul uh, Paul and Mama said, or that's because that's this pastor so-and-so said. No, we believe this is where God has, has preserved his, his perfect words because of, of a lot of different avenues, because of a lot of different reasons. And these are just simply seven of them to lay out. Yep. Yeah, I was thinking of just one other one I was thinking of was, uh, this is simple, but the italics in the King yeah, James. Yeah, yeah. It's the only one that, that does it. Yeah, it, the honesty of the translators. Yeah. Because when you translate from one language to another, and maybe we'll talk about some of this stuff with, you know, can a translation be inspired? Maybe that'll be either its own episode or go along with next week, whatever. Um, but... Uh, when doing that, you can't link with languages. Oftentimes, is you can't go word to from one word to another word. Okay, you, like, it requires a, a combination of words or whatever. And so, when they had to add words, they put like Kyle said in the King James, they put italics to let you know that they've done that. In the modern versions, they don't do that. They change stuff all the time. They remove stuff, and they ain't even worried about it. Yeah. That's concerning. Yep, that's right. So that was a good one. I remember. Yeah, I thought we're, you know, I keep saying this, that everything's going to be short. And like, we were like at 30 something minutes and I was looking at the, at the thing here as we're recording and I'm like, oh, this will probably be a 50 minute episode, 45. And then that seventh point just got a little little long. So uh, a little shout out. I'm not sure. I'm not sure for a hundred percent, but our next episode may have another guest appearance. Yes. Either our next one or at least something in this King James series. We will, our Lord willing, are going to have a guest appearance. So make sure you be staying tuned for that. Stay tuned. Share, right. share these on your social media. Absolutely, yes. Get, get people involved. That's right. Uh, but like we said at the beginning, preservation was the first one. God preserved his word. It's somewhere, right? That's right. So, so go back and check that out if you missed it. Um, and then today we're looking at starting to dive into the King James stuff and like Dylan said we'll next week we'll go more in depth on the internal external uh, stuff like that comparing the different versions side by side um, but yeah I think this is a this is a good series absolutely uh, but yeah thanks for thanks for tuning in uh, we'll see you all on the next one